Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Enola Holmes. The Case of the Missing Marquis was written by Nancy Springer and published in 2006. And the film adaptation, Enola Holmes, came out in 2020 and was directed by Harry Bradbeard. And this is good timing for this episode because the second movie is about to come out. We say that as if we didn't plan it that way. We absolutely did. We did, yeah. I've actually been wanting to do this one for a while because we watched the movie when it came out on Netflix in 2020. Yeah. And I really liked it. And I thought it would be fun to do for an episode. So when I was like, oh, the second movie is coming out, I was like, oh, we should do the first one. Yeah, you know, I remember liking the movie. Yeah. I feel like I enjoyed it more the second time. Really? Like it was more like I thought it was like a good Netflix movie. You know, the first time I watched it, like decent, but like maybe forgettable. Yeah. This time I'm like. Why did I feel that way? (laughs) I don't know. It's pretty solid, not to get into our opinions too soon, but... Yeah, I mean, it was originally meant to come out theatrically, but um, because of it being 2020, it came out on Netflix. Yeah, so interestingly, because I wondered that when we started watching it and Legendary Pictures came up, Mm because I'm like, that's a weird production company for a Netflix film. Yeah, I did hear that it was like Millie Bobby (laughs) Brown's... uh, her effort to get this made. Like she was the one who like, she liked these books and wanted to get them made and like, oh, cool. approached the author. Mm-hmm. And she actually has a production credit. Wow. On this film. That's great. And she was, I think it said she was actually 16 years old. Okay. At when it was made. So she was like one of the youngest actors to have like ever to have like a production <laughs> credit on a movie. That's really cool. I really like her in this role. I do too. She like, the fact that she not only liked this story, but was like, I can I can do that character and mm-hmm. did it well was cool. One other thing, Adina, I have a confession to make. What? <laughs> so the book is called The Case of the Missing Marquess. Marquess? Marquess. Marquess, yeah. I misread that the first time, like just looking at it. Yeah. I thought it was Marquise. Oh. Like a storefront marquee. <laughs> and so we're like, I'm like... 75% of the way through the book. And I'm like, okay, there's the mom mystery. And then this other yeah. like Viscount being disappeared. I'm like, but what, what, what's up with the storefronts? Like, when does that whole, when does the storefront the, element, the come book in? is named after it. Right. And then at some point they mention his full title and I caught like, Oh, Marquis. Oh, and then it, it dawned on me. So that's really funny. <laughs> I felt like I should share that. That's it great. is such a weird title that I've never heard of. It is. T- it is before. Yeah, it, it's not a very common term, Marquis. Especially because he's like a a viscount. a viscount also. Yeah, maybe Marquis like is 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 above that. I don't understand the British nobility titles at all. No. My knowledge of the Viscount comes from Bridgerton. Yes. So. And I'm glad <laughs> that we did that episode so we know how to pronounce Viscount. Yes. Viscount. Vi- Viscount. <laughs> <laughs> Easy there. <laughs> uh, anyway, um Enola Holmes is the youngest sister of Sherlock and Mycroft Holmes. Mm-hmm. So in this universe take on the Sherlock Holmes story, we have Enola, who is much, much younger than her older two brothers. And in fact, this is sort of a heavy element in the book. Yes. Where Enola feels like her mother having her at kind of an old age is somewhat shameful. 
Yeah, I like how this was kind of probably just a necessity of the story, right? To have like, oh, a teenage sister of Sherlock Holmes, right? Mm -hmm. Like stories about her. But like her brother Sherlock would have to be like a detective at this point. Yeah. So she would be like way younger. Like, Mm -hmm. so like she kind of just took that age gap idea and just kind of really worked it into the story in an interesting way, which I liked. Yeah. And she talks too in the book about feeling like a burden on her mom. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, didn't expect to have this late in life baby. And then soon after Enola is born, her father also dies. So um, Enola kind of feels like it was not really in her mom's plan to have this child, and then she has to raise her. That's not as much of a factor in the movie. No. But the age difference for sure is. And, of course, we're also told at the beginning that Enola is alone, spelled backwards. (laughs) And her mom always tells her, you'll do very well on your own, Enola. Yes. And I love at one point she's like, (laughs) And Sherlock's name spelled backwards is Kalashnikov. Like, <laughs> and she's like, so maybe I shouldn't think too much about the alone thing. <laughs> we get a montage in the film of her kind of growing up with her mom, yeah. who in the film is played by Helena Bonham Carter. Great casting. Fantastic casting. Mm-hmm. And I her- wish I had Helena Bonham Carter as my eccentric mother. Yes, and that you just <laughs> lived on this beautiful estate that you kind of can just, like, destroy. Play tennis in the house. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, yeah, the, the her mom is kind of raising her on her own, and they're just kind of, like, doing their own thing. In the film, there's a lot more... Uh, training, I'll call it. Yes. Like she's learning code deciphering, archery, jujitsu, mm-hmm. like sword fighting, like yeah. all these things. Like even at one point, I love they're like kind of playfully putting on disguises. Yes. Which I liked as a little detail. They're science experiments. Yes. Yeah. Science. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the book doesn't really kind of get into that level of like setup of knowledge that Enola would have mm-hmm. other than like plants and maybe like an odd thing here, they're like the ciphers. Yeah, being out in nature and knowing kind of the way things grow and things like that. Yeah, it's interesting because I think in the movie, it paints Enola and her mom as being much closer yes. than they are in the book. In the book, Enola has a line where she talks about how, oh, my mom would just like kind of go off with her paint set and be gone most of the day and we would kind of do our own thing. Yeah. But we still like lived together very amicably mm-hmm. and like had a good relationship. Whereas in the movie, we're seeing all these flashbacks of the two of them doing all these things together. It really feels like Enola's mom is sharing her passions with Enola. Yeah. And also giving Enola like a really rich and fulfilled life. Enola later talks about reading every book in the library Mm -hmm. and that being her education and her mom just really like encouraging her to explore her interests. Yeah, but there is still like an element of mystery surrounding the mom in the film Mm -hmm. because at one point Enola talks about she had, she was a part of like some kind of society of other women. At one point there's a scene that kind of keeps getting brought back where she kind of accidentally walks in on one of their meetings and like, overhears some different things, sees some different people, but it's yeah. all very mysterious, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, her mom was still kind of, she had her secrets. Yes. And then, of course, the action of this story begins when Enola's mother, either on her 14th birthday in the book mm-hmm. or her 16th birthday in the movie, disappears. She leaves um, the manor one day and doesn't come back. And I think this setup is really interesting because in both the book and the movie, we have kind of this fourth wall breaking Anola telling us this story. 
like from another perspective. In the book, it's more traditional, like someone who's writing this down after it's happened. Yeah. Yes. She, she reflects like, little did I know at the time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so she has always relied so much on her mother. And, you know, even in the book where they maybe weren't as close, she's still kind of like wants to make sure she's okay because she is worried about her. She is older. And she's like, if she went out to like paint and like fell or like broke her hip or had like a heart attack or something, like we need to find her. Mm -hmm. But it kind of slowly becomes apparent that the mom like chose to disappear. Yeah. That she planned for this, that she strategically left a certain way so she wouldn't be seen. Mm -hmm. And so then the question is like, why did she leave? Why didn't she take me? Yeah. And where did she go? Exactly. We get this great scene uh, in the movie of Enola, and it's, it's very similar in the book, on her bicycle, going <laughs> to meet her brothers, yeah. because she's like, okay, I need to send for my brothers, because my mom is missing. Mm-hmm. So she's on her bicycle. In the movie, she like falls off her bike and gets all dirty, and then arrives at the train station. Of course, her brothers don't recognize her. Yeah, they just like walk straight past her, mm-hmm. and then finally realizing who she is after she speaks to them. They kind of immediately begin to, like, berate her with questions and, like, asking her all kinds of things and, like, aren't really, like, super appropriate in terms of – because they haven't seen her since she was, like – Four. Four or something. So they haven't seen her for years. Mm -hmm. And this mystery of, like, why they never visited or she didn't have a relationship with them gets a little bit more explanation, I think, in the the book. Yeah. You find out that the mom and the two brothers had kind of a falling out and mm-hmm. they weren't really welcomed anymore around the house. Yeah. Regardless, though, they are here now, Mycroft and Sherlock Holmes, to <laughs> help Enola and also to just figure out what the fuck happened to their mom and kind mm-hmm. of get the affairs in order. I want to talk right here about the casting, specifically of Sherlock Holmes. Yes. With Henry Cavill. Yeah. I love this casting. Do you? I didn't know when I heard he was cast as Sherlock Holmes. I'm like, Henry Cavill? (laughs) Like, the most handsome, muscular, suave man currently working in Hollywood. We're going to cast him as the most, like, intelligent man also. Like, he can't have it all. Yeah, no, you can't. (laughs) But I think in the context of this, specifically this movie, Sherlock is this figure in her life that I don't want to say she looks up to him. She does. It's complicated. Like at points she's also like really fighting with him too, Mm -hmm. but she does look up to him or at least he's this huge presence in her life. He's this famous figure. So I think it makes a lot of sense to cast someone who just looks like he has it all, right? (laughs) He's got everything going for him. The looks, the suaveness, the intelligence. Like he's kind of this like perfect person in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so I think that is a really smart way to go about it. And also I think it's a good performance too. So it's not just like a stunt casting either. Mm -hmm. Like I think he does well with it. Yeah. And I think his role in this being secondary to Enola is interesting. Mm -hmm. And I like this idea of this being like a Sherlock Holmes story with Sherlock Holmes, not as the main character, but him still in it. Yes. Yeah. And then you have Mycroft who is played by, I wrote his name down, Sam Claflin. Yeah. Uh, who it's so funny because our next episode, right, yeah. is going to include him as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I did not recognize him. I didn't him recognize him either. At all. Yeah, he looks very different than you would expect him to look. Uh, not as hot. Two very hot actors for Enola's <laughs> yes. uh, brothers. So I want to talk here too about like the whole deception that is uncovered here when Enola's brothers 
come back to their home. And they haven't been here in 10 years. And there's a lot of questions, like you were saying, they're like, where's the carriage? And Nola's like, we don't have a carriage. And they're like, where's the gardener? Why is the house overgrown? Where's your governess and piano teacher and dance (laughs) lesson person and all of the staff? And you quickly realize that the mom was just totally... Totally screwing with Mycroft. <laughs> yeah, asking for payments for all these, all this staff, like home renovations, mm-hmm. like all these fees and things that she needed. Yeah. Like just asking for like one check after the other from him. Yeah. And just like lying about all of it. And it comes out specifically in the book that when this falling out happened, which happened when their father died, Enola's mother was basically like, okay, your dad's dead. I'm going to live here and handle all the expenses and mm-hmm. the finances. And Mycroft was like, um, no, the house is mine. Yeah. Because you're a woman, so you can't own it. Dad died and now I own it. Even though I'm not going to live here, I'm going to live in London. I still own it. Yeah. And so the fight was about, you know, Enola's mother, Eudoria, having autonomy over her home and finances. Yeah. And Mycroft refusing to give that to her. So kind of like a fuck you to him. She's like, fine, okay, Uh, You can handle everything. Uh, I'll just live here. And so she was like, all right, this is the money I need to, like, live. Yes. And started basically storing away money, Uh all this money that he was sending to her. She started hiding it Mm -hmm. and keeping it for herself. Basically creating her own retirement fund. (laughs) Yes. Because, you know, she had no... She had no autonomy. She had no control. She had no agency over what she was allowed to do because of Mycroft's ownership of her and the house. I think also the book gives like a really important little detail because, you know, I was still kind of like, I don't know how I feel about the mom just like I know taking his money for so many years. But it's mentioned in the book that like part of whatever title Mycroft inherited as from the dad includes like basically makes him like a landlord in the traditional sense yeah and that they just that's just like a money revenue stream like he's just getting money now Mm -hmm. from that so like he doesn't have to do anything he's not doing it yeah so i'm like okay yeah no you steal his money because he's not even like earning it like this isn't even like from his job or anything yeah and he also works for the government which they mention in the movie too so like he has enough money yeah and clearly he wasn't missing it either Mm -hmm. but i just find this little detail about the mom's deception really funny and cool (laughs) and it's such a great reveal especially to see sherlock and mycroft kind of be like wait what's happening now like (laughs) when it's also funny too because especially in the film like this montage of her and her mom spending time together like Mm -hmm. playing tennis in the house accidentally breaking shit it's like really funny yeah but then when mycroft like sees the house you, (laughs) you see it through his eyes too where you're like oh this place is kind of a dump yeah like there's just broken shit everywhere there's writing on the wall like it's still cute but also you can kind of see why he's like maybe concerned. Yeah. And you can see a little bit more of the mom's like F you in some of that. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's true. Not being afraid to destroy some of it. <laughs> yeah. Just breaking uh, one family bust after the other. <laughs> There's also the situation, too, of who if the mom is gone and she's not coming back, who mm-hmm. is going to be Enola's ward? Yeah. Because she's still a teenager. Or like she'll be their ward. Oh, right. <laughs> they keep saying, like, wardship, and then... Yeah. You, no, you're right. Yeah, she would be their ward. Um, And so, as the oldest brother, that goes to Mycroft. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I actually really love also the depiction of Sherlock and Mycroft kind of being both shitty in their own way. Mycroft especially. Yeah. Like he makes comments later on about like this, um, the voting movement. Or oh, yeah. The reform the bill. The reform bill that would allow like basically every man to vote in mm-hmm. the country and him being like oh, a bunch of uneducated, like poor slobs voting. Like what a <laughs> bunch of idiots. Yeah. And Sherlock is more just like kind of aloof and maybe like not interested. Yeah. He in just the doesn't family. care. No. Yeah. But I like I think especially with Mycroft, him just being like really trying to like kind of dominate Enola Mm -hmm. and just kind of trying to force her to bend to his will. Like he did with the mom. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting here because like you said, Enola, Enola's life, which so far has been very like independent, you know, Mm -hmm. she's been able to do what she wants, is now suddenly changed. And Mycroft is like well, you can't keep living here because I'm not going to live here and you can't live with me. So you're going to go to boarding school. And Anula Anula really doesn't want to go to boarding school. In the movie, we have Mrs. Harrison arriving (laughs) who is trying to get Anula ready for boarding school and get her into corsets and all these awful things. Yes. There's a line in the book that I love uh, talking about like the corsets and the dresses. Cause like, I guess she's like, her bust isn't big enough and her waist is like too big. Yeah. And they get like the dressmaker in the book gets her like a series of smaller dresses. Yeah. Like, you'll start off here, but then within six months, you'll be here. Like, yeah. you'll be way thinner. And I love Enola gives a line about. Uh, she says, making the dresses smaller, an expectation that as I grew, I would diminish. <laughs> <laughs> Just the idea of like growing up, but also growing Getting smaller. smaller. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like we have this scene here with Mrs. Harrison where, you know, she ends up slapping Enola. Yeah. And this is like a really, I think, shocking moment for her to be treated this way mm-hmm. and is very much like a wake up call as to like what this life is starting to look like for her and how she might be able to change things. Yeah. She even pleads with Sherlock mm-hmm. that he could take over the wardship and that like she could like live with him or do literally anything else. Yeah. But he's just kind of like. Not my problem. Yeah. Like. Mycroft is very much like you find our mom. I'll yes. take care of Enola. Yeah. Yeah. It's their, it's their kind of deal mm-hmm. to like divide uh, the problem. There is this scene though that Enola has with Sherlock out near a favorite tree. And it happens, it happens the same way in the book and movie, but the movie is more extended. Whereas in both versions, Sherlock and Enola kind of talk about their mom's disappearance and yeah. are like, I wonder what where she could have gone, what could have happened. And then after that in the book, Sherlock kind of takes off. And he's like, well, see you later, Enola. <laughs> have fun at boarding school. That's true. He Well, I guess he appears at the end. Yeah. But like, yeah, he's, he's gone. Yeah, he's not a character for most of the book. But in the movie, they kind of have this moment where he actually shares some details about how he remembers her as a child. The pinecone dog, Dash, Dash, is brought up here. And it just, it does seem kind of like sweet that he has these memories of her. And it does feel like he's trying to connect with her a bit. I mean, he does take off. Yes. um, But it's a little bit more of a moment between them. It's also worth mentioning that in the book, Sherlock and Mycroft are probably just like shittier. Yeah. Especially towards. They're more sexist. They're more sexist. Yeah. They're more like just not giving Enola any credit. They keep talking about her. Or their mom. Or her mom. They keep talking about her minimal cranium capacity. (laughs) 
and just like talking down to her or about her like a lot. Yeah. And they talk about the mom disappearing. They're like, who knows? She was probably senile. Like, <laughs> yeah, Sherlock is like looking around his her room and he's like, I don't know. She was senile. So who knows if she had a plan? How am I supposed to figure this out? Yeah. What am I? The world's greatest detective? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, they're kind of just they write her, they write the mom off and they write Enola off a lot more in the book. Yeah. Around this time, Enola kind of finally realizes that the gifts her mom left for her on her birthday are actually more than they seem because uh they are actually the what in the book they're like ciphers, mm-hmm. like specifically word puzzles to figure out. I forget in the movie if it's the same or if she just discovers there's kind of more of a hidden meaning to it. Yeah. But anyway, both lead her to discover like a uh, a message. Mm-hmm. Or it, in the book, there's like multiple ciphers and they just keep leading her to cash. To more money. To money that's like hidden all around her mom's room. Yeah. That's like so funny to me. In the movie, she just finds the one stash of money and then she's like, okay, I'm going to bust out. But in the book, it's really funny because... She just spends every night for five weeks <laughs> yeah. searching for money in her mom's room. Like you said, like she unscrews like the bedposts and the curtain rods and there's just cash stuffed everywhere. And, and she knows to hide her money in her own curtain rod. Yeah. <laughs> like getting really good about like where to hide money. <laughs> yeah. So in the book, like five weeks passes and she plans her escape. And in the movie, Enola gets the money and is like, all right, I'm getting the fuck out of here. <laughs> yes. In the in the book. She is being sent to boarding school and she's like, "Okay, I'm going. And this one, (laughs) like the son of one of the people who works for the family is like taking her to the station. And she's just like, oh, can I like visit my dad's grave before I go? Uh, You can go to the pub. And he's like, "Okay." And then she just fucks off. (laughs) She like had a bike hidden and then she just takes off. Yeah. Whereas in the movie, she, I think, sneaks out at night. Yeah. (laughs) Leaving a crude dummy of herself in the bed. This is one of my favorite tropes, Adina. Yes. Is like terrible, awful paper mache dummies. But you know they spend a lot of time That's on it. That's the thing. That's why they're so funny. Like in uh, Moonrise, Moonrise Kingdom. Moonrise Kingdom, which I think is the best oh, yes. version of it, especially since that one had like that one was a really pulley horrifying. system and like especially horrifying. <laughs> but yes, I love a crude dummy left in a bed. Yeah. Uh, so Enola is is gone she's leaving she has like a whole plan of like disguising herself it's funny because in the the book or i guess in the film she dresses as a boy right she's like yeah i can pull this off no problem in the film she's like i'm not gonna dress as a boy because that's what sherlock would suspect yes instead i'm gonna dress as like an old widow (laughs) so i love that like kind of flipping that idea. yeah well first she just dresses as like kind of an older woman right in a, in like a suit, you know, on a bicycle, and then she does the whittle later. Oh, yeah, okay, I forgot about that. I find this so interesting, and we do see this later in the movie, but the book has kind of a lot where she talks about her costuming, yes. right? And she uses some of the corsets and apparatuses of the time, <laughs> her right? Enhancers. Her enhancers, yeah. yeah. Um, things to make her boobs look bigger, things to make um, her like butt stick out, like the bustle or whatever yeah. that is in the back. Um, because she figured out in the book, when her mom left that day, she was dressed kind of weirdly. Yeah. And she had this big top hat on and like her back bustle or something. Mm-hmm. And she realizes that her mom had stashed all her like belongings and money and those things yes and so Enola kind of follows her mom's example 
and just stuffs cash and extra clothing and supplies in her boobs, <laughs> yep. in her corset and like underneath, like, her, you in, know, her, in her ass, in her ass. <laughs> 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 yeah. And this is so funny because this comes up a lot in the book and in to a certain extent in the movie, too, of this idea of like performing femininity. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And Enola having this very strong idea about what people expect to see mm-hmm. and also like what people will just like see at face value and, and accept, you yeah. know, like she puts all her money in her corset and throughout all the things that happened to her in this book, nobody ever takes that off her. No. Right. Like they probably search her, but they don't search her corset. Well, and I think that comes to from like, uh, underestimating women yeah and not thinking of them being like clever or sneaky and also there being this like embarrassment around women's clothing because in the book when she talks to one of the staff and she mentions like one of her mom's like bustles he's like like, very embarrassed (laughs) right (laughs) yeah and so she like uses that right and later when she dresses as a widow in the movie she has this line where she talks about people it reminding them of death and that being scary (laughs) so then they don't want to look at the widow or talk to her too much because it reminds them of their own mortality and so this idea of like enola understanding what types of women are able to move more freely in society is when you look a certain way and you are presented a certain way and her kind of like weaponizing that yes yeah i i think she's so smart and i love also i just love the writing of this book, mm-hmm. it feels extremely detailed and period accurate. Yeah. I mean, it could be wildly inaccurate. I don't know. But like the amount of details about the home and the clothing and the like outfit enhancers. And yeah. What corsets are made of and like the descriptions of London when she gets there. Like it all feels very genuinely researched and knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. And to an extent where like. I I am guilty sometimes of uh, underestimating young adult novels, right? Yeah, thinking like, okay, this is like a a a young a young adult, like just kind of fun mystery, mm-hmm. and that like there won't be like a huge amount of attention to detail, but there is, like, yeah. th- they're so well written in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so Enola has her outfit of choice, right? In the book, she's dressed as a, a young lady, mm-hmm. and in the movie, she's dressed as a boy makes her way to the train station because she is going to head to London. And from there, she's hoping to track down her mother. Yes. But while she is at the train station, she hears rumors about a young boy's disappearance. Mm -hmm. In the book, it seems like the young Tewksbury, Viscount Tewksbury, (laughs) has been kidnapped. And in the movie, uh, Tewksbury has run away and is missing. Yes. I really love the movie's... Like, the way the movie chooses to integrate this plot line with Enola's. Yeah. Because in the book, she just kind of, like, decides at some point, like, I should go solve this mystery. Yeah. I'm a detective now. And I'm like, "Uh, are you? All right. Yeah. Like, it's very kind of, like, out of the blue. Yeah. Whereas in the film, her arrival at this train station, there's this mom and an uncle, Mm -hmm. like, searching the train and she finds like a, a an isolated compartment to be on her own. And then, of course, this bag that's on top of the <laughs> baggage, whatever, like splits open and the, the young Viscount like falls to the floor. And now she's like involved, involved. Mm-hmm. And he's talking to her. He quickly sees that she's not a boy mm-hmm. and is like 
oh yeah, I'm running away. And Enola's like, you're an idiot. There's a guy on this train looking for you right now. Yeah, and right now we're going to talk about the movie specifically. Yeah. Because um, we're going to pause the book here. Um, What happens in the book is that Enola just kind of decides to go investigate this. So pausing the book, everything we talk about now is just the movie. Yes, yeah. So in the film, you know, she meets the Viscount on the train. Mm -hmm. She doesn't want to be involved. She is, she leaves the compartment. I kind of love this moment where the guy, and she sees the guy who's looking for him Mm -hmm. walk past and go in the compartment. And she's like, uh, okay. Like he's probably in huge trouble. Yeah. Like with his family. Like I should go like at least speak up for him or maybe help him in some way. And I love, she goes back to the compartment and the man is trying to murder the Viscount. Throw him off the train. Throwing him off the train. And I just love that subversion of what you're expecting. Yeah. Enola is able to rescue him. And then Enola and Tewksbury are fleeing um, the bowler hat man, Mm -hmm. as he's called, on the train. They end up jumping off the train right before the bridge so he can't follow them. And this is where the two of them end up talking. Um, they're walking kind of through the wilderness a bit, and they end up making camp together. And Tewksbury tells her about wanting to join the House of Lords and his mom and uncle kind of wanting different things for his life and then kind of having like a near-death experience and deciding to just run away for a while and maybe just go to London on his own. So definitely like having a lot of stuff going on with like the family pressures for yeah. sure. Um, Enola doesn't really talk about why she is leaving, but the two of them do bond over their fathers being dead. Yeah. And I also think just like the Viscounts, like the pressures from his family and the fact that Enola literally had to run away from Mm -hmm. Mycroft and like the boarding school and stuff. And they do have a lot in common in that way. And I also like, too, that, you know, even even though the Viscount is a wealthy white man Mm -hmm. or white boy, you know, soon to be man. Uh, he still has, like, unfair societal pressures put on him, too. And, like, he seems, like, more emotionally vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Like, he likes plants and flowers and kind of breaking some gender norms with his character, which I appreciate. Yeah, and I love the dynamic between them because she's just very, like, she's just, like, mean to him, but in a fun way. And, like, he likes it, you yeah. know? I think sometimes she's, like, a little, <laughs> she's just kind of, like, maybe aggressive yeah. too much or too, like, consistently. Yeah. But for the most part, I do really like their dynamic. Yeah. They end up traveling to London together, but they part ways once they get to London. And Enola is determined to continue with her original plan, which is to find her mom. So she ends up renting. She gets a new outfit. Yes. First of all, and stuffs her money in her corset. Yes. She decides (laughs) to embrace like the high society lady outfit with Mm -hmm. like the corset and the bustle and like all that stuff. And she gets a room uh, for herself, which is just a dump. Yeah, there's rats. Uh, it's love, very funny. I love how that highlights, though, her naivety. Yeah. You know what I mean? That she like, she's like, ah, you say this is a good room, so okay. Like, she doesn't really know what she's doing. Yeah. But she goes to visit a family friend who's in London that she's aware of named, you told me the name, Edith. Yes. She goes to Edith's tea shop. This was someone that her mom corresponded with. And someone who would come to the house. And someone who was part of that secret meeting that she mm-hmm. saw. And she ends up talking to Edith, who also runs a jujitsu 
studio <laughs> for women. <laughs> for women. Yes. Teaching them uh, how to defend themselves. And we learn that, of course, Enola and Eudoria, her mother, were very adept in the art of jujitsu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, lo- I, I loved this moment. Yeah. And her kind of like grappling with Edith a little bit. Mm-hmm. She's kind of grilling Edith for information on the mom and Edith doesn't really give her anything Mm -hmm. instead kind of is like why do you want to find your mom like why are you here maybe not that it's a lost cause but maybe you shouldn't be looking for her yeah and kind of saying like she might not want to be found yeah she probably has her reasons for disappearing and also if you're here you should kind of make your own life Mm -hmm. you know which, I mean, it's pretty harsh to tell, like, a 16-year-old. Yeah. I do like this arc, though, of, like, you know, Enola is just looking for her mom, right? That mm-hmm. kind of, like, comfort and kind of, like, that being her trying to, like, hold on to her childhood. But in this adventure, kind of, like, discovering adulthood to, yeah. a, to a degree. So I do like that narrative arc, though. Yeah. She does put um, a cipher in the newspaper, mm-hmm. kind of reaching out and hoping her mom will see it so that she can make contact with her. And then Enola does investigate this area of London, um, Limehouse Lane, which she remembered being part of the secret meeting. Yeah, like she realizes that things they were saying in the meeting were code for other places Mm -hmm. and kind of pieces this together and tracks down this like warehouse in kind of a really shitty part of London. Yeah, I like her remembering these scenes, right? And yes. putting the clues together. It feels very Sherlock. Yes. You know? And you know, not only the BBC Sherlock, but also uh, the Sherlock Holmes films with Robert Downey Jr. Yes. Like, I, I love this idea of how do we how do we visually depict someone with like a hyperactive uh observing brain yeah right like Mm -hmm. how do we visualize that someone able to like go back and recall like very tiny details yeah and they all have similar approaches where they kind of like rewind scenes like Mm -hmm. sometimes slow them down like focus zoom in zoom in like showing different aspects of a scene that you didn't notice the first time yeah it's kind of this shared language between all three of these movies or shows right yeah that i kind of thought I agree with you. I thought it was interesting to kind of pick up on that. And it does really show the way Enola is thinking. Yes. When she's in this part of London, though, she discovers this secret house that has um, suffragette information in it. Mm -hmm. There's bombs and gunpowder. And it becomes clear that Enola's mom might be involved with some... She might be a terrorist. (laughs) (laughs) But for for the cause, Ian. For the cause. You know. Yeah, I I like the line that it's riding with like... Yeah. What is she planning exactly? Like how ethical, how... And and we don't get like honestly like any answers about this. But I love this kind of mystery of her being this like suffragette terrorist spy Mm -hmm. and kind of like really just embracing that identity yeah that she was like i'm gonna retire but i'm gonna retire to like (laughs) wreak havoc on england i think everyone should (laughs) retire to wreak havoc on england specifically (laughs) on england specifically (laughs) (laughs) i think america could could use some uh yeah some vengeance that's true yeah i was gonna say retire to the english countryside and (laughs) subsequently burn it down (laughs) but enola is kind of disturbed by what she finds doesn't know how to feel about it but she doesn't have long to stew in her emotions because she is quickly attacked 
and tortured. By the man in the bowler hat. By the man in the bowler hat and tortured for information. Yeah. She's waterboarding. She's waterboarding. <laughs> there, this is the beginning for me of a little bit of a tonal inconsistency with the movie. Yeah. Where sometimes things get like a little too real. Yeah. And I'm like, this isn't This is a family fun. friendly movie. Well, but it's PG-13 though. Yeah. I, You know, I think the movie... It begins very lighthearted. Mm-hmm. Like you see this like peppy young heroine who's yes. like talking to the camera and mm-hmm. kind of quipping. And like you get that montage of her and her mom like doing stuff and it's fun. Yeah. So like it puts your mind in a, a certain a place. state. Right. And it, it nothing in the movie contradicts that for a long time. But then suddenly she's being waterboarded by a hitman for information. And you're like, this feels a little out of place. Yeah, and he wants to know where Tewksbury is. She doesn't know where he is. No. So she can't even do anything. She and Bowler Hat kind of end up in this fight. And I do kind of like the way this plays out, though, because she is sort of holding her own, but it is very clear that he is stronger than her. Yes. So even though she knows jujitsu, she's still 16 and yeah. he's like a grown ass man. He's like 100 pounds. And on probably her. an assassin, right? So like <laughs> yeah. he is winning. And if anything, she's just kind of like surprising him. Yeah. And getting out of the way. She does get stabbed in her corset, which <laughs> I love this. I do too. Because it's like, oh, convenient. Like she's not actually stabbed. Yeah. That was a great moment. Yeah. No, I actually thought like the fight scene and choreography of this was really well done. It mm-hmm. wasn't even like, this wasn't even as like jarring as like the waterboarding stuff. Like yeah. this felt like, okay, this is still kind of like fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also love this is intercut with uh, clips of her sparring with her mom as a yeah, kid. Yes. There's a lot of really good editing in this film too. Like mm-hmm. there's multiple times when scenes from the mom are intercut with what's going on in the present to kind of like further an idea or yes. emotion. And remind us like her foundation, right? Yes. That she's drawing from a past that actually was very helpful in preparing her for these situations. I also like too though that there's never a reveal or idea that the mom was secretly training her. No. Which is like very kind of a trope almost. Like, yeah. oh, my childhood was training me for this. Like, <laughs> I don't, th- at least I don't think that was ever like an intention. No, I think she just wanted Enola. Like, I think she always planned to go off on her own, the yeah. mom. And so she wanted Enola to be prepared in like every sense of the word. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, Get, training her in jujitsu and having her read every book in the library are part of the same idea that she wanted Enola to be able to be on her own and be okay. And just to be like a well-rounded person too, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I like that there wasn't like, oh, I've been trained to be like a top secret spy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm now like a deadly assassin. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and like I was saying earlier, like she's Good at fighting, but she still cannot defeat this guy and ends up using a distraction to get away. Yeah, she ends up, like, burning down, like, the whole warehouse. (laughs) But, like, yeah, no, in a really smart kind of maneuver that I liked a lot. Mm -hmm. This is where she realizes, oh, this guy is actually trying to kill Tewksbury. Yeah. So I need to go find Tewksbury, and I think I'm going to go back to his house investigate his house and then figure out where I can find him. It's a little bit loose logic here that she's going to go to his ha- his family home to try to find where he is in London. Yeah. And also, like, she knew this man was after him and, like, wanted to kill him. Yeah. Already. 
So like, why? I, she I guess now? it's just like a reminder to her mm-hmm. that like, okay, maybe I should. Well, and now she's involved more. Like he's after her and knows her yeah, face. Yeah, that's so true. She does want to kind of figure it out to get herself out of it too. I Protect think. her own shit. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're at the point where the two, the movie and the book, are converging. Where she decides to go to Tewksbury Manor. Yes. To investigate this disappearance. In the book, she has not met Tewksbury at all. She just decides to go. Yeah. And in the movie, you know, we have this whole thing with her and Tewksbury and her being attacked and her choosing to go back to investigate this. So she gets her widow disguise. Yes. It's, it's, it's widow time, baby. I love this disguise. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very smart because she gets to have like a, a veil that like mostly obstructs her face and mm-hmm. kind of disguises her identity better. In the book, she has like a whole... Uh, alter ego name prepared and she gets to the gate and she's just like I'm Enola Holmes and just completely forgot everything yeah so she kind of blows her cover here but they kind of let her in because she implies that she's related to Sherlock Holmes and, and she's there to investigate in the movie she ends up kind of throwing out that like she's Sherlock's assistant yes and in both versions uh, Inspector Lestrade is there mm-hmm. who is a, a familiar character if you've read or seen any of the Sherlock Holmes stories and the two of them are kind of like oh you know Sherlock you know Sherlock (laughs) in the movie they like argue about who knows the most Sherlock facts (laughs) what's his favorite breakfast yeah stuff like that favorite tea (laughs) yeah and so she kind of doesn't get very far in the book the family has also employed a psychic yes madam Laelia Laelia uh, who is she like uses her mystic powers to speak to the dead to like because in the book they think it's a kidnapping yeah they think he was taken and she's like oh allow me to like talk to the dead and find out where he is blah 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 mm-hmm. in the uh film we get the additional characters of an uncle yeah who is a prominent member of the family and a grandmother mm-hmm. yeah it is interesting because in the book Tewksbury is 12 years old <laughs> Yes. And Enola's 14. So, like, they're similar in age, but he is much younger than her and is also very much just a boy running off, right? Yeah. She realizes that he wasn't kidnapped. He kind of made it look like that. She finds his treehouse hideout, finds that he had cut his hair and sort of made plans to escape. And she ends up revealing this information to Lestrade so he can tell the mom. And Madame Laelia is overhearing it as well. Yeah, so in the book, she's just like, oh, I figured out it's not a kidnapping. He ran away. Case closed. I'm done. My job's done. (laughs) Goodbye. She's like, all right, he'll probably be at the docks because it seemed like he wanted to be a sailor. So you go there to find him and I'm going to go to London and and, like forget I was here, basically. She's like, wow, being a detective is so easy. (laughs) In the movie, the family won't see her, but she kind of goes off on her own. She swaps clothing <laughs> with a gardener boy. I read a funny thing about, like, she offers five pounds to, like, yes. swap clothing. And, like, I think it was an IMDb fact that was, like, oh, yeah, like, in in U.S. dollars, like, after adjusting for inflation. <laughs> like, that was, like, a lot of money. Yeah. That would have been, like, the annual salary of, like, one of those, like, gardeners. Yeah. Like, young men. So, like, it's way more money than it seems, which mm-hmm. I thought was interesting. But she, you know, disguised as a boy once again. Like, she, in, in the same as the book, finds a treehouse, finds clues. Except in the film, she encounters the grandmother. Yes. And they have what seems to be like a very innocent conversation, but later on you're like, oh, it's sinister. 
And it, even though, <laughs> even before we find out it being sinister, I'm like, this is a little weird. This is weird, right? The grandmother is talking about the ancestral home and then the the burden of the wealthy white landowner. Yeah, like it's very um like uh they can't like replace us. Yes. ideology. It's very like almost white supremacist slash like. I guess at this time it was more fear of like the poor. Yeah. But it's still very like xenophobic. Absolutely. But like she they're in the woods walking when she's talking about it. And she's kind of talking about like the land mm-hmm. more specifically. And they're surrounded by beautiful nature. So it has this tone of being like, oh, this is fine. Yeah. Like, oh, I get what she means. And she's like, tell my grandson, like, I miss him if you mm-hmm. find him. So it's like a sweet moment. But it's also like. This land is our responsibility. Yeah. And I'm like, but do you share it with anyone? There's a lot of coded language yeah. in it that I, I think works like really well. So let's go back to the book now, mm-hmm. since we spent so much time with the movie. Enola, you know, is like, he ran away himself. He'll probably be at the docks. Now I'm going to get on the train to go to London to try to find my mom. And she's in a situation now because she already gave her name and Lestrade saw her in her widow costume. So she's like, I got to ditch the widow costume. I got to find a new secret identity in London. Yeah. So her plan is she gets off the train. She's like, "Okay, I have to walk really far away from this station. (laughs) So I'm just going to pick east. And she just starts walking. Well, the woman on the train tells her about like the used clothing store in the East End. Yeah. And then she's like, I'll go there. There are no other clothing shops. Right. I don't know. This was a little contrived, I felt like, because she immediately is like in the worst criminal element of London. Yeah. And also just happens to be the in the exact area that she predicted Tewksbury would be in. Yeah. Even though that wasn't her plan to find him. Yeah. yeah I mean, I find this similar to her just deciding to find Tewksbury to begin with. Mm-hmm. It's just like a, oh, now a I'll whim. Go here. Yeah. And this kind of contrived setup. Mm-hmm. So she goes into, I mean, she is just walking in this god awful neighborhood, just seeing like the worst stuff. And I, I made a note because like similarly to how I underestimate young adult novels in terms of like <laughs> the level of detail and historical accuracy they may have. I also underestimate them for like how real and kind of like dark they can be. Like yeah. parts of this section were just like the streets were filled with diseased prostitutes <laughs> and like the and cutthroat men who yeah. were like looking to get and I'm like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like a old haggard woman with ringworm on her head crawled and dragged her body down the streets. Yeah, and you're like, ugh. Whoa. I'm like, this is a lot. <laughs> this is this is a lot. Yeah, uh unsurprisingly, she is quickly attacked. Yeah. In this area of London, but she is surprised when um, the man who attacks her is looking for Tewksbury. Yes. And she is asked about where he is. Mm -hmm. She claims not to know. Uh, The man attempts to stab her. Yes. Like right then and there. To kill her. Multiple times. But luckily her corset (laughs) protects her. She's able to run away, but is eventually caught again, knocked out. And when she wakes up, Tewksbury is there. Yes. So, like, he was looking for Tewksbury, but then they found him? Well, it was two guys, and they had split up. Okay. So the one guy had found Tewksbury, and that guy who had recognized Enola Mm -hmm. was trying to get information out of her. Okay. And then the other guy tricked her 
because she was screaming for help, and he's like, oh, come over here. Yeah. And then he, like, knocked her out. Okay. Yeah, again, a little bit contrived that they were like, oh, where's Tewksbury? And then she wakes up, and she's just there with Tewksbury. Yeah, the whole pacing of this book is weird, right? It's very weird. Because when she is escaping her house, that is, like, the halfway point of the book. Yeah. And, like, we haven't even begun to discuss. Like, Tewksbury hasn't even been introduced yet. Not a whisper of Tewksbury. No. <laughs> Not <laughs> yeah. even a hint. And, like, you said, like, she's at the train station. She just decides to go, right? Yeah. And then she's going into London. We don't even get, like, a minute of her in London before she's in this, like, dark underbelly, you know? And she makes a funny comment about, like, I didn't even get to see any of, like, the beautiful women of London with their diamonds and flowing gowns. Yeah. Like, it just got really real, like, mm-hmm. very quickly. But it does feel rushed. It does. It, it feels, like, it ended up working maybe, like, more than I even thought it would reading it. Because, like, reading it, I'm like, how is this going to, like, fit together? Because we are halfway through and there's one mystery about the mom, and that's not even what the main mystery of the story's about. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but there are a lot of kind of contrived elements that force this new narrative into place. Mm-hmm. I do love how Enola escapes being on, because they're in this, the hull of a ship with yeah. Tewksbury. Her corset is cut from her being stabbed. Yeah. And she ends up using the steel in the corset to kind of like break the ropes that she (laughs) has i love her using the corset again in fact she's like wow this corset is like actually really helpful (laughs) she's like as long as i love this thing yeah she's like as long as i like have it fit so i can like breathe (laughs) she's like it's great uh so yeah her and tewksbury and like you said tewksbury is 12 two years younger than her Mm -hmm. and he's kind of like real snarky like they have a lot of like a little whiny yeah yeah i i love his description in the book because like the mom like overly pampered him yes uh they talked about little lord fauntleroy yes (laughs) being like very i have no idea what that is i've heard of it before yeah but like apparently it inspired his mom and maybe other women at the time to like really dress their like boys up with like curly hair and like velvet clothes mm-hmm. and like when Enola saw his photo in the paper she thought he was like eight yeah she's, like he's 12 <laughs> and that's like why he ran away essentially yeah he's being smothered yes uh but so he's like kind of whiny still and like their dynamics funny mm-hmm. I'm curious because in the film he's obviously like kind of the love interest yeah and I'm like <laughs> if they age them both up in the series like but he'd still be two years younger, which feels yeah. like too young. So I doubt they would do it. But no. like, I know the next movie features Tewksbury again. Yeah, I don't think he's in any of the other books. Yeah. So I, I'm curious maybe if the later movies diverge more from the books. Um, they probably do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but they're able to get away. They they have this chase scene through the piers of this dock. And then they're running through the London streets. They're able to take shelter in the very dress shop that Enola was trying to go to originally. <laughs> Once again, another like <laughs> contrivance of like, how did this happen? Yeah. They change their clothes and end up going to Scotland Yard. And this is where Enola, it starts sketching the guy that kidnapped them. Cutter. Is Cutter. His name. Yes. And then she starts sketching Madame Laelia and is like, oh my God, they're the same person. I, Okay, maybe maybe this person is very progressive and yeah. is like completely like gender like non-binary, but I also doubt it because I'm like, is this a man impersonating a woman yes. or a woman impersonating a man? It's a man impersonating a woman. That's what I thought. Yeah. I'm like, 
she describes him as being so like ugly gross. and gross. And I'm like, the woman wasn't really described that way. Like, yeah, not like being overly masculine. Like, I, I think he, she was described as being like tall with like mm-hmm. maybe like big hands or something. But like this part, I was like, what? They're this- well, and like the purpose of it, right? Like to kid to try to kidnap this kid. Or, like, find the kid who was maybe kidnapped? Like, what was that? Yeah. How did they know? And, like, why would they disguise themselves as this psychic to try to, like, get ransom money? I don't know. It, it, it just didn't quite add up. No, because, like, it would make sense if they kid- if they had kidnapped the boy, right? Yes. And then they get a psychic with the family like to be like, oh, yes, um, you need to pay the ransom because yeah. the son is alive. Like, all that bullshit. But the boy wasn't kidnapped. He had run away. Yes. But they still... Kidnapped him. But but before that, <laughs> sent him dressed as the psychic. Yes. Even though they didn't know yet. To try to find out where he was? While still trying to, like, find him? I don't know, Ian. It's really <laughs> jumbled. Also, like, when she was making this revelation about, like, the, the psychic, mm-hmm. I was like... Oh, I bet they're siblings, right? Yeah. Like similar features and mm-hmm. stuff. And then she's like, no, they were the same person. <laughs> and you're I'm like, really? Uh, I'm okay. Like, I might need more explanation <laughs> about that. And the book's like, like, no. No. <laughs> you get none. <laughs> they go to Scotland Yard, though. And this is where Enola ends up seeing Sherlock there. Yes. And she ends up overhearing Sherlock talking to Lestrade about his mother's disappearance and his sister's disappearance. And she can tell that Sherlock is, like, more invested mm-hmm. in finding her than she maybe gave him credit for. Yeah. And kind of, it's like a moment of, like, even though he doesn't see her sitting there, mm-hmm. like, she maybe has more of a connection or sympathy for him in that moment. Yes. But then, of course, Tewksbury stands up and reveals himself, and Enola jumps out the window. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she, like, walks away and then goes out a window. And then jumps out a window. <laughs> but it's really funny. She's just like, oh, out the window. Yep. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and then we get an epilogue yep. where, so this was funny because, like, the beginning of the book, there's this prologue of an of a nameless character mm-hmm. walking down the London streets in disguise, talking about being pursued, mm-hmm. but also looking for someone, right? I think this was the scene where she was just in the East End. Looking for the clothing store? Yeah, and hoping to find her mom. Oh, and the mom, too. Yeah, okay, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, um, and I thought this was the mom Mm -hmm. at first, because then we find out she had disappeared. Yeah. Like, at the beginning of the story. So I'm like, okay, that's where she was. But then, of course, later when Enola is going through the streets on her own, Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, is this that part that we began the story with? Mm -hmm. And and I I made that connection. Um, She does, though, um, in this epilogue, we find out that Enola is disguising herself as a nun, (laughs) another one of her uh, performative feminine outfits, for sure. Yeah. Um, But she's doing this so she can help the poor in this neighborhood that she ended up in. The the women that are crawling around, she is, like, giving food and blankets and stuff, too. Yeah, she's like, this is really bothering me. I need to, like, help them. (laughs) Yeah, which is really great. And then we find out, too, that she's set up this office as like it, it's basically her own detective agency under this whole pseudonym and everything. Yeah, so she she is pretending to be the secretary of a detective of a detective that doesn't exist. That doesn't exist. But like, how does that work? I don't know. Does she just? Yeah, I, I like need more information. Like, 
I'm sure you get it in the next book, but like it gives you like enough to be interesting. But I'm also like, how does that work? Yeah. Like, I I feel like I need more info right now. She does get an answer, though, about where her mom is because her mom sends a cipher back in the newspaper. Yeah. And just implies that she's doing well and she's happy where she is. And Enola kind of pieces it finally together that her mom is off with the gypsies mm-hmm. or Romani, which is more yeah a better term for that. But that at that time, they would have called them gypsies. Um, and that her mom is just kind of like traveling around, living a life without corsets, you know. <laughs> <laughs> just She's got her, all the money she needs. Letting her arms be bare and exposed. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's the end of the book. I don't know if we said that we were going to go to the end of the book, but that's, that's the end of it. That's the end of it. Yeah. Shall we get to the movie again? Yes. Where did we leave off with the film? Oh, she's finding Tewksbury. Yes. So she pieces together that he would be, I think in that certain area of the flower market, the flower market, because he knows flowers and she pretty easily tracks him down and is like, your life's in danger. A man is out to kill you. Because he tried to kill me. Yeah. And he's like, wait a minute, let me flirt with you and give you a flower. And she's like, I don't want your flower. But maybe I do. But maybe come back to my room. Yes. They go back to her room. And this is where she reveals to him about her mom. Yeah. Being missing and her trying to find her mom. And this feels like the two of them are bonding more Mm -hmm. because Enola is opening herself up to him. I love her line about being like, I actually like missed you more than I thought. I would after you were gone. I was like, oh, you weren't so bad. Yeah, what'd she say? I missed you more in absence or yeah, something like that. It's really great. Yeah. And so they are planning on just like, I wish we knew like what their next steps were. Yeah. But I guess for the time being, they're like, let's like hide at my place. Mm-hmm. They don't get to spend very long there because then Lestrade, Lestrade uh, shows up because he has been paid I guess to do his job more by my by Mycroft because Mycroft <laughs> is like find my sister. And yeah, he's probably like I mean that was already like <laughs> on my docket, but I'll sure. <laughs> yeah, and the two of them basically Enola is kind of like if they find you, that'll bring the bowler hat man to you. Yeah, so you go and it'll be I'll be fine. And so he leaves, and then Enola is snatched by Lestrade <laughs> yeah. and handed over to Mycroft who and Mycroft is very mean to her. He's so awful but I also like how they're embracing how shitty he is. Yes. Like at one point he just screams at her mm-hmm. about how it's his money. He like yeah. takes her money off her and yeah. like just you know brings her to tears. And then he's like here you are Mrs. Harrison's boarding school. Yeah. Enjoy your miserable life. <laughs> So now she's in boarding school yeah. and she's learning how to laugh like a lady. Yes. Um, walk like a lady. Walk like a lady. Eat soup like a lady. Eat, eat soup. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do everything like she's supposed to mm-hmm. under the stern discipline of Mrs. Harrison. Yeah. We do have a scene here where Sherlock comes to visit her. And I find this interesting because we've actually seen throughout the movie a couple scenes with Sherlock. Yes. The one scene is with the housekeeper. And Sherlock is investigating Enola's disappearance. And the housekeeper is kind of like 
this isn't funny. Yeah. You know, because yeah. Sherlock is like, ooh, like the clues, the game is afoot, you know? I think Sherlock definitely gives Enola more credit in the film. Yes. Because like her running away, because she's smart and she's mm-hmm. like trying not to get caught. And so the idea of like trying to track her down and catch her like seems appealing to him. It's a challenge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the housekeeper is like, this is your fucking sister. Get your shit together. Yeah, and she's kind of like, yeah, she's smart, but she also knows nothing about the world. Yes. And she's in danger, and she needs you. And then Sherlock ends up at the same tea shop, Edith's, Edith's tea shop and jujitsu yeah. parlor. Um, that's, the, that's what the sign says on the front. <laughs> Edith's tea shop and, and, jujitsu, and jujitsu parlor. <laughs> <laughs> For young ladies. For young ladies. <laughs> but he has this interesting conversation with Edith where Edith is kind of talking about his responsibility to Enola. And Edith also confronting Sherlock on his um, political, what would be the word, apathy, right? Yes, yeah. Because we're talking about this reform vote, which is like an element that is only in the movie, where the House of Lords is going to vote on who has the right to vote in England. This yeah. is a suffrage thing. You know, this isn't even like women's suffrage. This is male suffrage. Yeah. So like when we talk about the history of suffrage in, you know, the UK and in America, for a long time, not even every single man could vote. Like, it was mm-hmm. only people who owned land or had a certain amount of money. And so this vote would open that voting right up to all men. And Edith kind of calls Sherlock out for not caring about politics. And I love how she phrases it. She says that, um, why would he care to change a world that already suits him so well? Yes. Kind of calling out his male... And wealthy privilege. Yeah. I think, yeah, this is a great moment. I love just the movie allowing us to follow Sherlock as a secondary character mm-hmm. and seeing him growing. Yeah. I love because it's 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 very minuscule. It's subtle. Yeah. Like, it's not that he never cared about Enola or that by the end he's suddenly like, oh, she's my sister. Like, yeah. it's, it's very, like, tiny movements towards that. But, yeah, like, Edith... Because he's like, uh, politics are boring. And she's like, yeah, well, guess what? Like, it's really important to some people based on their lives. And, you yeah. know, that, and just like what you said, like, the world suits you now. So, of course, you don't want to change it. And not caring about politics is a privilege. Yes. Because it means that you don't have these injustices that would cause you to care about politics. And I think it shows why he and Mycroft, like, don't understand their mom. Yes. Like, don't understand where she's coming from. Like, oh, the feminists and, like, the women and, Mm -hmm. like, that kind of thing. And, yeah, really shining a light on, like, why he thinks that way because he's never really needed to fight for any amount of Yeah. I think this is, like, a really good representation between Mycroft and Sherlock about, like, men at this time. Yeah. Right? We have Mycroft, who is, like, aggressively patriarchal. Yes. Right? And then we have Sherlock, who, you know, at least in the movie, is not really like a bad guy. No. He just doesn't care. Yeah. You know? And then we have someone like Tewksbury, who is definitely more progressive, Mm -hmm. right? Obviously sees Enola as an equal. Yeah. So I think, I find that really interesting. But we also, we have this scene where Sherlock visits Enola at her boarding school. And at this time, it kind of seems like Enola is fighting this feeling of, like, everything going wrong. Mm -hmm. Also kind of doubting her mother's love for her, like, why she abandoned her. And Sherlock brings Pinecone Dash to Enola in her time of need and tells her, you know, Mom kept this under her pillow Mm -hmm. and she always loved you. Yeah, and they also briefly discuss the case. Yeah. And 
Sherlock specifically did not take on the Tewksbury case mm-hmm. because, like, he was searching for Enola at the time. Yeah. But he kind of mentions to Enola, like, this Tewksbury case is a little more complicated mm-hmm. than you thought, isn't it? And he's like, you'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> and kind of, like, leaving it up to her. Yes. And I kind of like that, that he's, like, trusting her to, mm-hmm. like, do escape. it on her own. And, and escape, <laughs> yeah, yeah, essentially. And uh, she gets the chance to. Yes. When a mysterious package shows up. <laughs> Of one Lord Tewksbury. Yes. Do you think he loves just cramming himself into <laughs> into various luggage? Like, yeah. it seems to be his thing. I love that he comes to save her. Yeah. It's very sweet. Um, And they end up having this whole elaborate plan to trick Mrs. Harrison, who we haven't talked about this, but <laughs> she has, like, this weird sexual tension with Mycroft. And I'm like... Are they fucking? <laughs> well, do you think it's on his end at all? I mean, he seems like in the scenes with her. You think? It seems like there's something there because he's very much like, thank you, Mrs. Harrison, for like coming. I really deeply appreciate it. Like he's very like. Oh, see, I just thought it was all coming from her. Really? Yeah, I thought he was just like, oh, thank Like she's doing him a favor. And so yeah. I thought he was just being like very appreciative. I felt like it was kind okay. of mutual, you know? But like how much older is she than him? I don't know. <laughs> I guess, you know, it's whatever, whatever floats your boat. Yeah. I In my canon, I think the two of them have hooked up before. <laughs> Even though she went to school with his mother. Yes. Okay. That's fine. As long as I'm just getting the, the facts straight. <laughs> so uh, they kind of can create this lie to sneak Enola out where yeah. she's in the package and they're like, oh, this is from... Uh, Mycroft Holmes and the Mrs. Harrison is like, ooh, take it to my office. And <laughs> it's a funny moment. Uh, but Enola and Tewksbury escape. They're heading back to London, trying to get away from danger when Enola is like, no. My brother said a very vague thing about dipping your feet in the water. And the sharks. And the sharks. And I think we have to go back to your house, even though we know someone in your family is trying to have you killed. Yeah, I wish that they this was a little more thought out. This, uh, yeah. this is the part of the movie where I'm like, this makes no sense. No, and you know, it's funny because like they arrive at the house. There's kind of a gap between when they turn on that road and then get there. Mm-hmm. And Tewksbury's like, oh, this is the worst plan and ever and... You were like, what's the plan? And I'm like, I think they talked about one yeah. in the car before getting there. They did not. They didn't talk the, about the one. The plan begins and ends with them getting to the manor. Yeah, and just going inside. And just, yeah, fucking winging it. <laughs> they go inside and they're immediately shot at by Bowler Hat Man. <laughs> yep, and it's this hole and they try to escape and they can't and they're just shot at a lot. Um, Enola manages to get the drop mm-hmm. on him she puts him in this like corkscrew position that was hinted at earlier in the film. Yeah. Takes him down and he <laughs> crushes his fucking skull against a pointy object, a wooden like decorative <laughs> post. And I was like, oh my God, she killed him. And then she starts questioning him and I'm like, okay, no, he's not dead. And then he dies. <laughs> <laughs> so she just kills so a man. She, she killed a man. Yeah, it's fine. Once again, one of those moments where I'm like, this is getting a little dark compared to, like, yeah. what's kind of come before it. And, mm-hmm. like, I don't necessarily want them to change it. Like, no. I don't necessarily think it's a problem, but, like, maybe the rest of the movie should have been, <laughs> I don't know. Something is just, like. Slightly off It's here. a little jarring. Especially with them just, like, showing up at the manor for no discernible reason. Oh, yeah. Plot-wise, too. That, like, she, and 
the reveal of who's really doing it, like, Enola doesn't figure it out. Yeah. The person just reveals themselves. Yeah, she thought it was his uncle. Yeah. But then, of course, after they kill Bowler Hat Man, <laughs> uh, they hear a cane, and it's the grandma. Yes. And she's got a shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, she takes her time to pick it up. Yeah. And I'm like, charge her. She's yeah. old. Like, yeah. you can get it off her. Like, she's so slow and old. Yeah. Like, move, evade. She's Do not anything. Shoot. She's yeah. never probably even held a gun. <laughs> throw anything at her. Yes, throw something. <laughs> Just like, she'll probably fall over. Yeah. <laughs> a stiff wind. A stiff wind. <laughs> That's all you need. Yeah. She uh, shoots her grandson. In the chest. In the chest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He, luckily like hit a piece of armor mm-hmm. under his shirt. Thank God she didn't shoot him in the head. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's a close call. And Enola, of course, is like, there's this tearful moment where she's like over Tewksbury's body and she's like, he's dead. And they're holding hands. And then his like fingers start yeah. moving. He's not dead. Um, Yeah, that's. And then the grandma is just like, oh, well, I'm out of bullets <laughs> or shells. That was fun. All right. I guess. Do you want to get the police? <laughs> Should I, I call them? I'll just sit here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm at the end of my line. Like this was, this was, it's been an, an emotional. This my only plan. It's been an emotional day. <laughs> I shot my grandson and he's not dead. <laughs> she was like, I was all ready for him to be dead and now he's not. Yeah. <laughs> we get kind of an epilogue in the movie though, where we see kind of how things have turned out. We see. Uh, the young Tewksbury taking up his place in the House of Lords. Yes. There's this sweet moment with him and his mom and uncle who were not planning to kill him. It was just the grandma. Yeah. Then he has this moment with Enola and you find out that Enola's doing fine on her own now. She has a new place to stay that's much better. Yes. And um, she took the reward money for finding Tewksbury from his family. And so that's kind of her cash right now since Mycroft took the cash her mom gave her. Yeah. Yeah. They have this scene where they're talking on either side of this like gate, Mm -hmm. which visually I like. And in my mind, I'm like, I mean, they end, they part ways being like, you haven't seen the end of me, that kind of thing. Yeah. But I'm also like, maybe we have. Yeah. Because like, he's living a totally different life. The visual. Of them separated. Yeah, kind of implies that maybe they're just going to go their own ways at this Mm -hmm. point. Now, we know the sequel does include him. Yeah. But it might have been a fact of like, well, we'll see how audiences react to his character. Mm -hmm. We can find a new love interest if we need to. Yeah, yeah. We can kill him off. We can easily kill him (laughs) off. (laughs) You don't just not include him. You murder him. (laughs) You murder him immediately. Yes. Um, But we find out, though, that he is the deciding vote in this reform bill that brings change to the suffrage movement. So all this time we're hearing about this reform bill and then it does kind of come full circle in Tewksbury taking his place and voting in a progressive way. Yeah. And then we get a scene of Sherlock showing up to, is it Lestrade? Yeah. I I keep forgetting his name. Showing up to Lestrade's office being like, I solved the case. Yes. And he explains how like he knew that Tewksbury was being, someone was trying to kill him. Uh, within the family and he knew it wasn't the uncle because when the dad died who he knows was killed like the uncle was in the Afghan war because mm-hmm. he saw a medal and a picture he gives this like whole <laughs> explanation and then Lestrade is just like yeah it's interesting your sister was just in here and told me like basically the exact same thing yeah and there's this great moment of Sherlock walking away from the office kind of stunned but then he gives this like ha <laughs> like this kind of like laugh like he's proud of her yes yeah I yeah. love that moment too 
And then um, Enola ends up seeing a cipher in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, is this my mom sending a cipher to me? She quickly realizes, though, that it's probably not her mom. It's probably Sherlock. It's probably Sherlock. Because Sherlock did see she was, like, putting ciphers in the paper mm-hmm. and, like, what her intent was. And he's smart enough to, like, reply. Yeah. She decides to check it out anyway, though. And we get another great repeat of the line, <laughs> I'll pay you five pounds to swap clothes with me. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I love the idea of Enola just going like around London, just constantly being like, I'll pay you five pounds to swap clothes with me. Yes. And also like, are the <laughs> are the young men actually wearing the dress? I don't home? know. Like, how are they getting home? <laughs> uh, but so she we don't know at the time she disguises herself and we overhear a conversation of Sherlock and Mycroft kind mm-hmm. of talking about the reform bill passing. And clearly it was them who put the cipher in the paper and yeah. kind of talking about like uh, Enola's growing up. And, and Sherlock says, though, that like if we do find her, I will take her on. Yeah, as my ward. As my ward, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, again, here's a little bit of growth for Sherlock, right? Taking yes. responsibility of Enola, wanting to be more in her life. And then Sherlock does find little Pinecone Dash set out in the square as a hint that Enola was there. Oh, Sherlock finds it. Yeah. Yeah, I thought you said Enola. Yeah, yeah. Sherlock, Sherlock finds, finds the, the, the pine cone mm-hmm. and uh, knows. Yeah. And then Enola goes back. And I was confused by this at first. She goes back and then takes the pine cone mm-hmm. back. And I was like, why did she leave that there? But then I'm like, for the mom. Yeah. If the mom was there, I think it was like a signal to her. Mm-hmm. Uh. So, yeah. So it's sad. She goes home. And who is in her room but her mom? Yeah. Now, I have a theory. Okay. It's not a real theory. It, it's it's a thought that ha- occurred to me. I'm like, this scene with her and her mom, I feel like could have happened in her head. Because, mm. like, okay, she just left the, the square. She's disappointed. Yeah, where she thought she was going to see her mom. She's disappointed she didn't. She finds her mom, oh, in her room when she gets back. Yeah. And their entire conversation, like, no information is given to Enola that she didn't know. Mm -hmm. Like, her mom doesn't say where she was. She's just like, I had to go. I still love you. Mm -hmm. Things like that, right? Yeah. So, like, you could almost, I don't really think. It's it's an interesting idea. Yeah, but it kind of almost could be interpreted that way. Especially with the book, her actually not finding her mom. No. And just knowing that she's out there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, I do think this is interesting. Um, You know, they have this reunion, but... It is temporary, and we know that. Like, we know that they're not going to stay together now, which is sad, Mm -hmm. you know? But it's clearly just setting up and establishing that, like, Enola is an independent person now, and she has her own life, and she's going to be fine, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, she has a little moment of saying, like, she's alone, but she's not lonely. Yes. And she's in the city. She's a she's a young woman, mm-hmm. a young detective lady in the city, ready to carve out her own path. <laughs> and we'll find out what happens with that in Enola Holmes 2. Yes. Coming out on Netflix on November 4th. <laughs> Is I, that really when it comes I out? I think. <laughs> don't, don't quote me on that. But. <laughs> yeah, and that's the end of the book and the movie. So now the eternal question, Ian. Yes, the, the question that keeps us up at night, Adina. Yes. Tossing and turning. Which one is better? I feel pretty confident in saying the film in this case. 
I did enjoy the book. I agree with you. Yeah. I I enjoyed the book. I thought it was well written. I think the first half of the book was better than the second half. Kind of, yeah. The establishment of Enola as a character, Mm -hmm. her situation with her mom, her kind of figuring out the clues and then deciding to go off on her own. I really liked all of that. Yeah. Especially the stuff about... Like the legal rights of women. Yes. And the mom situation and Nola kind of being in the same situation and her really trying to have to like find her own way like her mom found her own way. But then the mystery was just sort of like an afterthought almost. Yeah. Like I'm sure other books will address like will bring back the mom. Yeah. But like the whole Tewksbury thing like either should have been worked into the plot earlier. I think it should have been more complex because the book is only 200 pages. Yeah. And Tewksbury is just not an interesting character either. You just don't care about him. Also everything that happened with like the plot line in that like mm-hmm. who like the the psychic and the uh, yeah. men who kidnapped her and all the contrived ways that Enola just kind of kept getting the used dress shop the, like yeah it just like I don't know it's very clunky in the second half yeah but I do agree that I like it's funny because the book gives you more detail of like the personal mm-hmm. like dynamics of like the family the family and like what Enola's mom went through and with the brothers and like mm-hmm. being a woman at that time whereas the film gives you more of a grand uh look at like the time period An like adventure yeah like the suffrage movement and yes. like how the plot line ties into that mm-hmm. and I, I like that a lot too and seeing more of Sherlock and yes. like on his own and Mycroft and mm-hmm. uh seeing the boarding school and like yes. all these other elements like it kind of gives you like a wider scope in that way yeah and I really love the tone of the movie it's very fun yes the beginning part having this little like pop-up book-esque mm-hmm. idea with it where it's like the flashbacks of her and her mom and it's little like cutouts. Yeah. I love that. It's very stylistic. I love Enola kind of breaking the fourth wall sometimes. I yeah. love um, just the humor and the editing choices. Yeah. It was a very, very tight script. Yeah. Like so many things that are brought up throughout the movie were hinted at earlier. Mm-hmm. There's so many good tie-ins. Like at one point when the mom disappears, Sherlock just kind of like, Eh, just kind of like browses her room, kind of yeah. like poking around. And then later he reveals like all this information he knows. And it's like a flashback to that moment. And like, oh, he actually found this thing when he was here. Yes. He actually reached up the chimney when he was like looking for stuff and found letters mm-hmm. and like, uh, you know, tying things together or like. Enola's flashbacks, remembering yes. certain scenes. Or Tewksbury talked about like, oh, yeah, I had this. uh near-death experience where a tree branch almost fell on me. Yeah. And later, Enola finds that branch, and it was, like, sawed. Yes. So she knows someone Someone tried to kill him. (laughs) Yeah. Because, I mean, like, it's just so, like, so well thought out in Mm -hmm. so many ways like that. Yeah, and, like, I only have that one gripe with them going to the Tewksbury house at the end. Otherwise, it's, like, a perfectly plotted film. I completely agree, yeah, except for that final decision. Yeah. Like, the whole thing is so well constructed and thought out. Yeah. And edited and, like, you know, not just, like, narratively, but visually, too. Like, at one point, I think it's maybe when... She decides not to look for her mom anymore mm-hmm. and help Tewksbury. I could be getting this wrong, but it cuts a flashback to like when she was sparring with her mom. Yeah. And it's just her mom facing the camera and slowly putting her hands down, like yeah. from a fighting position, almost looking like sad or kind of like giving up. Or... Yeah. And it's just like a single shot that's like a couple seconds just to like heighten mm-hmm. that decision or that moment. 
Like there's just a, it's a very well constructed movie. It is, and it's a fun movie to watch. It like, is. I really enjoyed watching it. Like I said, I don't know why I felt like more ambivalent about it the first time we watched it because on a rewatch, I'm like, this is really good. Yeah. Um. Similarly, you mentioned breaking the fourth wall. Do you know who the director is? No. Well, I mean, you wouldn't know him by name. He, I don't know if he's the only director of this show or just like a very recurring director. Fleabag. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Which is so funny because watching it, I'm like, you know, we just did an episode recently on Persuasion. Oh yeah. (laughs) Which is like, oh, what if the character snarkily talks to the camera and breaks the fourth wall a lot? And we're like, oh, that's very Fleabag. And then watching this, even though it's different, it's still like, okay, this British female character mm-hmm. addressing the audience. I mean, it's pulling it off in a much better way. Oh, for <laughs> sure. But it still brings Fleabag to mind. It I'm, does. And But it's also that director. So, That's so like, funny. It, it, it kind of, <laughs> you, you got to like, yeah, you can do that. <laughs> yeah, I uh, really liked the movie. It's a movie for both of us. Um, we'll be interested to watch the second movie. I don't know if the second movie is actually based on any of the books, so I don't know if we can even do an episode on it. Yeah, that's I a guess good we'll question. find out. We'd when have it to comes look out. into it. But yeah. Yeah. It's a movie, and let's do lightning round. Let's do lightning. So first off for lightning round, there's this part in the book where Tewksbury and Enola are on the boat, and they end up fleeing. They get out of the boat. They knock the one guy unconscious. And then they're up on the deck of the boat, and the second guy, Cutter, yes. who's the guy that is dressed, also dresses up as Madame Laelia, charges at them. Yeah. And he's wearing, like, all red pajamas. <laughs> Like an all red pajama set. (laughs) Yeah. And they end up jumping off the boat and he's like, just wait until I get some clothes on. I'm going to like rip you. (laughs) And he goes back in his cabin to change, to change and put clothes on. And then he chases them. And I'm like, why? I, yeah, you're, you're a murderer. Like, (laughs) what do you care? Everyone in the town is terrified of you. Yeah. Like, what does it matter? I don't know. I just thought that was really bizarre. A strange detail. (laughs) Yeah. Just have him be in his pajamas. It's fine. It's kind of funnier that way. It is. No, I like that. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So this is very interesting, Adina. Yes. Netflix, the author of the book Mm -hmm. and producers of the film were sued Oh, I heard about this. By the estate of Arthur Conan Doyle. Arthur Conan Doyle? Yes. Yes. Uh, And this is fascinating. Do you know anything about this? Yes. Okay. So, I guess I was hoping that you wouldn't, but it's it's fine. (laughs) I ruined it. So, this is what's interesting is that all of the Sherlock Holmes stories are uh, public domain now. Yeah. They have passed the copyright time right Mm -hmm. except for 10 stories yeah and i don't know if those are like registered in the u.s which copyright law here is like really fucked and just keeps going on forever because Mm -hmm. of fucking mickey mouse anyway um (laughs) so 10 stories are are still protected by copyright law so when this movie came out the estate of arthur conan doyle sued the movie because they were like your depiction of sherlock holmes is too warm and sympathetic Mm -hmm. which is a characteristic exclusive to the 10 stories that are still protected by the trademark. Yeah, and they sued not only Netflix, but the author. Yes. Yeah, but yeah. like she had had these books out for forever, since True. 2006, yeah. and they, I guess the movie was the only reason that it was brought to their attention. Now, maybe because like her name is attached to the movie is like, yeah, maybe. not a writer, but like inspired by, I don't know. 
But I just find this like so fascinating that they were like this quality of Sherlock Holmes. Like you can do a Sherlock Holmes movie, but he has to be shitty and aloof and hate women. Yeah. Because uh, anything <laughs> else, because apparently those stories where he becomes more sympathetic were written after uh, Doyle's son and brother died. Mm. His son in World War One and his brother like four months later. And I think people thought like he kind of wanted to make Sherlock maybe warmer and more like actually have like emotions yeah that maybe he was going through something as an author and kind of like brought that to the the page mm-hmm. uh so that's why sherlock apparently kind of changes somewhat in interesting those, in those later stories yeah but the estate was like you can't do that and then a judge was like uh i don't think that really like you can't really like trademark generic qualities yeah like that but apparently it was settled between the estate and Netflix mm-hmm. in a way that, like, isn't clear. Like Probably some money. Netflix probably gave them some money to, to just, just like, get them to be like, just chill? Just shut up. Yeah, just shut up about this. <laughs> like, yeah, I think that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And honestly, copyright is stupid. Yeah. I am fine with it existing for a certain amount of time, but for how long it exists is just insane, especially here in America. So fuck Arthur Conan Doyle's estate. <laughs> they don't need any more money. No, it just felt like such a publicity stunt. I know. Like, come on. Uh, yeah, so I, I found all of that to be very interesting. It is. It's super interesting. Uh, next for Lightning Round, I just want to highlight a scene where Anola is remembering her mom playing chess, right? And her mom is giving this speech about, like, knowing your opponent and knowing when to, like, make your move. And it, she's just giving a very, like chess analogy speech mm-hmm. that's in like a lot of movies right where someone's playing chess and then they talk about being a mastermind yeah. and planning your moves and and then she's like your move Enola and it just cuts to like a six year old Enola <laughs> <laughs> like this whole time she's been giving this grand like who's gonna win speech yeah. to like this child and being like, I will defeat you. <laughs> I, that was one of the best jokes in the whole movie. It landed so well. It was so funny. So funny. I loved that. <laughs> uh, that's it for lightning round and that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. This was a really fun one to do. I'm glad we could talk about it. If you would like to support us, you can through Patreon. All our patrons get bonus episodes every month. We just put one out on the Alien quadrilogy. Yes, the Sigourney Weaver Alien films. Adventures were had. It was a good time. I don't want to miss that one, but there's plenty of episodes available for our patrons to listen to. And you also get priority episode requests. So if you have something you would really like us to cover on the podcast, quickest way to do that is to become a patron. Yeah. And of course, it just supports us in the podcast in a way that we really appreciate. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, you can leave us ratings on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Yeah. Uh, as well as, I guess, just those two places. Uh, you probably can other places. We don't maybe, know. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You can find all those links at coveredcredits.com. Com, yes. Where you can also listen to episodes if you choose to there. Mm-hmm. Thanks again for listening to this episode. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.